Welcome to another episode of The Rabbi and the Shrink. This is Dr. Margarita Gurry, The Shrink, and here's my favorite rabbi, Yannison Goldson. Well, the good rabbi and I have decided to put together a series, as you know, on different important emotions and sources of strength in these difficult times. Let's talk about love and fear today. And one thing we know is we're living in a time of fear. We are in the midst of of a serious pandemic that's been pretty scary. Um, And I think it's caused many people to reevaluate how to handle fear and to understand love as one of the most powerful antidotes to fear and the stressors that come from situations that seem beyond our control. The rabbi, as you know, is one of my very favorite thinkers and storytellers. Rabbi, why don't you kick it off with your um, your sage view on love? Because I love it. Well, my, my view is guided by the sages, so I won't take too much credit for it. But it's very much on my mind as we record, because we're just a few days out from Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is not just Jewish New Year, but which marks the beginning of what we call the 10 days of repentance, the high holidays, starting with Rosh Hashanah, which the sages describe as a day characterized by fear. It's a day of judgment. We're judged on, the, on, on our actions of the past year to determine the fortunes and circumstances that uh, will be um, prepared for us for the coming year. And the 10 days of repentance culminate in Yom Kippur, which is described as a day of love. So love and fear are right there together in this 10 days of of the high holiday season, which are also called the days of awe. And awe is one of those words that um, is a little tricky for us because when everything is awesome, how do you describe something that is truly awesome? And what is awe? Well, awe is in fact the synthesis of fear and love. So it's a slightly different formulation, formulation, but really, the, I think the same core idea that you suggested, Doctor, with fear or with love being the antidote for fear, but rather fear and love are two elements of a far more profound outlook. That being in fear means I'm worried, I'm afraid of what's in front of me. I'm concerned about the consequences. But when fear is fused with love, then it reaches a higher level of awe. And my experience um, in feeling this, I felt this really most profoundly when my family visited Niagara Falls. And they take you out on this little boat and get as close as possible to the falls. I think the Maid of the Mist, I think they call it. And if you haven't done it, it should be on everybody's bucket list because you get very close and and you just feel this truly awesome power. You're not afraid. You know, they've done this lots of times. You're not really worried that anything bad's gonna happen, but just that proximity to raw, seemingly limitless power, that's awe. And yes, there is that element of fear. You don't wanna get too close. But there's also an element of love, the grandeur, the majesty that this was created as part of a world that's here for us. And we have the privilege of living in a world where there are such things as this. We'll develop the idea more, but 
That's the beginning of the interplay between fear and love. Well, I, I love that. Um, one of my favorite philosophers, uh, Lao Tzu, and um, the Tao Te Ching talks about love and that with through love, let me see the exact quote, through love, one has no fear. And some of the research has borne that out. Now, that's stated in a, in a big way. And obviously, fear always exists. And, and hopefully, we avail ourselves of love and don't misuse it. But the whole point is we know that the brain with love, even just looking at someone's eyes that you love, gives you more oxytocin and helps the amygdala with emotions. And it helps undo any of the negative effects of threats, fear, stress. It's, it's, it is awe-inspiring, isn't it? Love. It is. And, and the truth is, you, the way you're phrasing it, I think, is very relevant. because. You know, we have a phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. And if you say, I mean, John Lennon said, all you need is love. And he uh, was right. Well, it's, you know, it's a nice idea. But the truth is that love has to be built on a foundation yes. of respect, understanding boundaries, limits, and a sense of concern that there are consequences to misusing the blessings in our lives. There has to be an element of fear that precedes the feeling of love. Otherwise, love can you know, go out of control. It can, it can mutate. It can, it can turn into, you know, take things. I mean, why do we take our closest relationships for granted? Because we, we lose that sense of trepidation. We become too comfortable. We become too secure, uh, complacent, in what we have, we don't appreciate it and we don't treat it properly. And therefore, love does not manifest even when it seems to be the driving force in our, in our relationships, unless it's predicated by that con conceptual fear. I agree. And back to the my favorite book that you recommended, could you, could you say the name for us? Orchas Tzadikim, the, right. the Ways of the Righteous. And I love that. And it has a whole bunch of traits and then talks about them. And one of the thoughts that was shared in this book from the sages is that the biggest trait that has, or the trait that has the biggest impact on action is indeed love. When employed by, for the sake of good, it's so powerful. But equally, when it's misused and employed for evil, then it is more evil. So it's like, it's like the, the, that pivotal point that if you use it for good, yay, and if you use it for bad, whoa. And I think that one of the things I've seen when people are afraid is they begin to confuse need, codependency, lust with love. And then they misuse their power over other people to do things that are not in the best interest of both individuals or the family or greater good or the organization. And I think that's one of the things we've been seeing when, when we're afraid many people forget to invest in love for the greater good, or even for the good of just the primary relationships that, that hold us accountable for a better life. I like that word accountable. Because I that, know you do. It's a good word, isn't it? Well, yeah, and it has to be an element of love. I mean, what you're describing yes. is really very powerful. In, in Hebrew, there's a word kina which translates 
as jealousy or as zeal or passion? Kina. Kina. K-I-N-A-H, it would be in English. All right, thank you, Kina. And it's a warning that extreme emotion can be very good or very bad. And we see it in, we see it in politics, certainly, that, you know, there's no one more dangerous than a true believer. <laughs> Isn't that a zealot? Um, yeah, yeah. If you, if you open up the gates for one point of view, then you close the ears and you close the heart. Exactly. But when you, when you get to the essence of love, I always go back to, to Hebrew etymology, etymology whenever I can, um, that the word in Hebrew is ahavo. A-H-A-V-A-H, ahava. And it comes from the root hav, which means to give. When you give, when you invest in a person, an ideal, a community, inevitably you come to love the object in which you have invested. This is why parents inevitably love children more than children love parents because parents are the givers in the relationship and children are the receivers. And when did children give back? Sometimes they give back later in life, but most often they give back to their own children. They pay it forward with the love that they pass on to their own children. And so part of the problem in our society is that we've got it backwards. We think that love is all about what I get. And really it's just the opposite. It's all about what I give. Um, what is uh, what did the Beatles say? We, we quoted John Lennon a minute ago. That the, the 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 love you, the love you take is equal to love you make. I think that was it. Something um, like that. Yeah, you know, there was. Of course, there, it there, doesn't there. always add up that way because no, it, it depends it, on us and how much we put in. Well, and it depends on the other person's ability to give or take. And True. sometimes people are stuck in their ability to either receive um, or to give. And sometimes it's permanent, but luckily most times it's temporary and, and we can push our way through it with enough support and uh, reflection. It's interesting. So now that brings us to then the Greeks. The Greeks talk about the four loves and um, it's philia, which is the friend bond. We have eros, which is romantic love with or without sex. Uh, storge, the empathy bond for those that you know, an empathy versus compassion is you put yourself in another place and you, you have the courage to really put yourself at risk by feeling their feelings, good and, and powerful feelings or destructive and scary feelings. Say that and one then again. adapt it, the unconditional God love. Yes. What was, what was the third one? Uh, storge. I'm not sure I'm saying it right. I don't know if I was familiar with that one. Well, it's the empathy bond. And uh -huh. I think it's, it's a powerful one. And I think sometimes what we're missing is that because it takes a lot of courage to have, so compassion, let's say there's a continuum of compassion. Fear very much keeps us in, let's say the continuum's here, and this is compassion um, in the middle. Empathy here on this side, though, is lack of interest. Compassion is dead center. This is something I've created. So it's right because I made it up, you know? So. <laughs> If you're having compassion, you have to have the courage to push through to true empathy. That's been contributing to you and I talk about the cancel culture that's been going on, where people 
if they don't agree politically are no longer friends or family. We are canceling people out because we don't have the courage to truly listen, to understand. And we want to bully people or scare them or blackmail them emotionally into agreeing to our point of view or to doing our needs. We see that with couples all the time. If you love me, you would, whatever that, you know, fill in the blank. And that is not love. That's emotional blackmail. Yeah. And, and this idea that, you know, it, it, you, you talk about politics, which is, of course, very much on our minds, that the, the political divide is getting wider and wider and the two sides are unwilling or incapable of talking to each other. You know, a couple of my heroes today are, are James Careful and Mary Madeline. Um, you know, he was one of Clinton's advisors and um, is very, very left wing. And she's very conservative. And they have a successful marriage. And I, know, I love actually, their love story. Yeah. And then they, they you know, they talk about it. They, uh, and, and it's inspiring because you know, we can be, very, we can have very different outlooks on life. And this goes back to the word ahava. I mentioned that the, the root is from ha, which means give, but it's also related to the word lahava, which means flame. So what is a flame? What's the shape of a flame? A flame is broad at the base and then it tapers to a point. And that is symbolic of a successful partnership or relationship that people can be quite far apart from each other. We say that opposites attract, and that's for a good reason, because the best partnerships are between people who are different from one another. And so you're talking about not just love partnerships, but business and community partnerships. As exactly, well. exactly. I mean, love does not have to be romantic. Right? The agape, the, 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 the sage's example of the most profound love is between David and Jonathan. And there's nothing romantic there. But when two people are very different and it tapers to a point, they have a common sense of purpose. They have common core values. They may have different ways of getting there. But they want the same thing in life for the world, for each other, for everyone. That allows that their, their differences become a source of strength instead of a, a source of division. I think that's what makes our partnership strong. We're very different people. You're, you're a, a, a white rabbi, uh, and I'm Hispanic uh, Catholic, uh, Cuban. Um, we have very different points of view, but we have very similar endpoint goals. And I think that that has been one of the sources of strength for our growing understanding of various issues. Um, I love disagreeing with you. I always learn something. Well, and, that, and that's what the, the whole, I think that's missing a lot in the, in the conversation about diversity. It is. ends it is. up being a lot about checking boxes rather than about the benefits to all of us from engaging in different points of view, understanding different points of view, seeing things the way other people do, having that empathy, not because you're going to change my mind or I'm going to change yours, not because you're entitled to this or I'm entitled to that, but because a team is made up of different people doing different jobs, working together in harmony. And that's the Hebrew word shalom, which is translated as peace, but really means harmony. It means all the pieces working and fitting together and fusing into an ultimate unity. So I had an interesting conversation. I have a friend, you know her, Libby Kisner, and she's um, 
a woman of faith. She's Orthodox. She lives in Israel. And she and I are dear friends. Um, one of the things that she and I were talking about was our, and our, our opinion about various topics that we know we would disagree on, whether it's gay marriage or um, education for women or whatever. Now, she and I agree on education for women, but and we have the most interesting conversations because we really care about each other. We will never agree on this issue, you know, and I'm all for love is love. I mean, I didn't grow up that way being, you know, growing up that certain things were bad or evil or whatever, but I have a different point of view now. And it's been really lovely being able to talk to her about why we see this and how we see it and what would be the impact. And I think it takes a lot of courage for her, not for me, it takes a lot of courage for her because she could get criticized. And I, even you, I've asked, does it cause you any social political issues for you to deal with me since I'm Christian and since I'm more liberal than you? Does that cause you any, any pain? Does it put you in peril in, in terms of your social standing? And you have had the courage to go past fear, to let it build something that can help others uh, discuss these issues in an ethical, honorable way. Yeah, and, and, and you know that that it doesn't mean that there is no fear. Of course not. It yeah, it means that the fear is put in its proper place. And and you know we had uh, Scott Mason on our uh, the podcast a while back. Yes, we and, did. And I asked him, I asked you and I asked him if he was willing to have a conversation about how it's possible for someone come from a biblical point of view can have a, uh, can engage and then have a, a cordial relationship with somebody who's gay. And, and he was very excited at the prospect. And we had that conversation, which uh, our listeners can go, go look up. But he asked me um, when I proposed, he said, could you, could there be any backlash against you Yes. For having this conversation with me. And I said, yeah. yeah. And he said, well, and there could be some backlash against me for having the conversation with you. Indeed. And we went ahead and, you know, just I, I, I when we were done, I sent, um, I sent the video to uh, the rabbi of my synagogue, who is uh, pretty seriously in the, what, what, what the media would call the ultra-Orthodox camp. And, uh, and he loved it. He loved that we were able to have that conversation respectfully. Well, that's to his credit, isn't it? But yeah, without apologetics. And it's, it's not even agreeing to disagree. I, I think that that doesn't frame it properly. I, I agree think, with you. I think diminishes it. Yeah. I think we, we do disagree. I think we it's agreeing to understand or to seek right. to understand. And that's, yeah, and that's the point that you were making earlier, doctor, that you know, we want to understand each other better in order to be able to empathize, to see the humanity in other people. And the, the fear gives us a certain respect, it sets boundaries, and it allows love to flourish, that sense of common bond, that common, we're all human beings, we're all created in the image of God. We all have our, our quirks and our shortcomings and, and our blind spots. And yet by working together, by coming together, we can we can all become much greater than the sum of our parts. That's for sure. You know, in my in my work with clients most recently, sometimes I do um, couples weekends uh, retreats and 
or I'll work with teams and the topic of love comes up. But the biggest deficit that I have seen in many groups is self-love. Many people have been scared to love themselves until they perceived they hit certain metrics for success or for, for being good enough. And I think that's backwards. I think we have to know, I mean, I'm Catholic, so I know that, you know, God made you the way you're supposed to be. So of course you're supposed to love yourself, quirks and all. Those are all the gifts. In fact, without the weirdnesses that we have, I mean, you wouldn't be special. Um, and that's often the gateway to being amazing and to risking excellence is to look at what's weird or different about you and go that route. So I'm going to urge everyone listening to say, what are you doing to build your self-love, but not at the expense of others? And what are you doing to use that self-love to help yourself listen more kindly with more civility to others? And that message is right there in the starting point of it all. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your fellow as yourself. First, you have to love yourself. Because if you don't, you're not capable of loving anybody else. We agree on that. Well, I think we've hit the topic of love and fear in our quick little episode. And uh, Rabbi, it's always it's a pleasure chatting with you on these things. It if you indeed. guys have questions or comments, please uh, reach us at uh, the rabbi and the shrink.com. We have a place for comments there. We'll see you on another episode of The Rabbi and the Shrink. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to The Rabbi and the Shrink, Everyday Ethics Unscripted. To book Dr. Redshue, Dr. Margarita Guri, or Rabbi Jonasen Goldson as speakers or advisors for your organization, contact them at therabbiandtheshrink.com. This has been a Dr. Redshue production.